Well, I'd just like to quote Steve Martin and say, Well, excuse me! Howdy! You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. I'm Scott Elfstrom. And I'm special guest James Avendroth. Howdy, James. Howdy, Howdy, James. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a year since Come and Take It started, and it's been such an incredible year. And for that, we thank all of you. For our 53rd episode, we're going to take a look back at what we've done so far, answer some questions from the listeners, and take a look at what's coming up on the show this next year. But first, what's your favorite Come and Take It question so far? I like the favorite Texas cop show that's not Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, and I really like the... uh... What's your favorite music venue in Dallas? My favorite would be the question, what's your favorite film by Stephen Tobolowsky? Bing! <laughs> and my favorite was, who's your favorite game company in Texas? Because one of the answers was me. <laughs> well, we love you, James, and we yeah. love your games. Mike, your question was a doozy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, So for our one-year episode, we wanted to take some time to answer some questions people have asked about the show. So today, our friend and guest writer to the show, James Aberdroth, is going to play interviewer and just ask some questions. All right. I hope you guys are ready because I'm not going to take it easy on you. Okay. No softballs. Good news. Our Texas IQ is through the roof thanks to a year of study. (laughs) All right. So uh, for the first hard-hitting question, and it may be the hardest, why did you pick France as the topic of your first podcast? Funny story is that France wasn't actually our first topic. Our first topic when we started out was supposed to be the Battleship Texas. Right. The Battleship Texas is my favorite subject, and I really wanted, that was what I wanted to start the show with when we first started talking about it. Unfortunately, we did a couple, it took us a couple of tries to kind of figure out the format of the show, how we were going to write it and balance it. And so... At first, it was going to be a less scripted show, but as many of you listen, there's a lot of facts and data, and you know we really have to script it out to get it right, and it makes it easier for us to sort of share the load between us. So France was the first scripted show, but uh, we did the Battleship Texas unscripted a couple times before we, we did We that. did a dry run, and basically it turned into Professor Sean lecturing about the Battleship Texas, and amazed and shocked that Mike and Scott didn't know what the British Grand Fleet was. I mean, come on. So anyway, uh, we, we, we did that, and I was appalled at how pretentious I sounded. Then we took a step back, re-looked at the format, and ended up, the, the French episode, while we were reworking the Battleship episode, the French episode was the one that kind of filtered to the top. And it really stemmed from a question Scott had, which was, what happened to the French section of Six Flags? All right, well, uh, that, that makes sense. I mean, Battleship Texas is more important than France, but, you know, technical difficulties, I suppose. All right, so what were your goals in creating this show? Well, the show started from the idea of we wanted to make something again. And you might be asking yourself, brain staple, that's kind of a, you know, is it food for your brain? Is it, uh, is it taking a hammer to your forehead? Uh, what is this about? But there was a, a website that, that Scott and I had created. Um, Along with our friend Josh. Many years ago, and it uh, sort of languished and died. And when we decided to recreate something, we said, we need to make something. But the new revolution in podcasting is just so exciting, and it's an open territory. So we talked about making this show, and Sean and I were having dinner one night. We looked at it, and we thought, you know, there isn't anything talking about Texas. And we really did the research, and we looked at it, and we saw that, you know, there was 
you know, we wanted to hear about these stories and we wanted to learn more. So we decided to do it. And it, it turned out to be this wealth of information. I mean, we're, we're 50, 53 shows in now and there's still loads of topics to talk 53 about. 53 more topics. To talk We've about. barely scratched the surface of, of what an amazing place Texas is. Someday, many years in the future, we'll just be reduced to reading the text off of every single historical marker in Texas, but we're not there yet. <laughs> no, I mean, that these guys, Sean and Mike, they talked about it, and they were like, hey, we should do this, and they got me involved because they know I like to make things, and we talked about it, and it's just, you know, we're, we were all born and raised in Texas. We're Texan. Uh, we've never lived outside of the state for any length of time. And we just wanted to share what that feels like. We wanted to share what it means to be Texan. All right. Or on a, on, a, on a high level, what goes into making an episode? Well, we really started with a list of topics. Uh, we brainstormed some topics. And then as things come up or as discussions come up, oh, this would make a good topic or this would be really interesting. But basically, I'm sort of the keeper of the, 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 narr- the schedule of when we're going to be writing things. So we put together a, a, a list of topics and then broke it out by who was interested in doing what. Uh, who was interested. So Mike, one of the first things Mike said was, I really want to do something on Panama Maria, which is where his family from. Uh, and then he really wanted to do something on the fracas at Dailyville. That was really the kind of the first. Those were two episodes that were like, these are great stories. Right. People don't know. And there's a lot of personality involved with the, with the characters of it. And it was something, you mm-hmm. know, just, it would be like kind of, oh, here's a story you never heard, but it's really fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And Scott was interested in doing the Halloween episode because his family has uh, a connection with these books about Texas ghost stories. And so that was kind of what went into the creating the, the, the ideas uh, of this show. So we write the episode uh, and then we go through an editing process where we share it with each other and read through it just to familiarize ourselves with it, to clean it up. And then we record the episode. So I'm really in charge of the writing and the keeping of the what's the script schedule. The editor and a lot of the editorial voice. A lot of I the editorial voice, kind of an editorial director, so to speak. Right. And so then it then it goes into the recording process. And then, my, you know, my big thing is is we've tried really hard to bring you, the listener, the best audio quality we can. Sound professional. To sound like something you know close to NPR level is sort of our our dream goal. Let's get close to that NPR sound. But uh, we'll take the sound, we'll record it, we'll record it, we'll try to do a couple episodes a night because unlike many podcasts, we physically get together and we record in the same room. We actually set up a studio and we record people live in the same room. So a lot of people have asked us, oh, you're not Skyping, you're not doing all this virtual stuff. We've done that for a few episodes with some guest hosts from other places. But for the most part, everything's recorded right here in one room. Um, Then after that point, there's a little bit of post-production cleanup. And it gets posted to the web and iTunes. And Mike, you're the editor of you're the techn- you're basically the producer, the engineer, and the editor of the audio itself. Right. Yeah. I, I handle all the all the technical aspects of the audio, and then um, Scott has has picked up a lot of the web and social tasks. So, yeah. And in addition to the work that goes into researching and writing every episode, and then recording and editing uh, we've also tried to figure out what we can do to get the show out there and share it and one of the things that we've done um, as you may or may not have seen if you follow us on Facebook is we try to create little teaser images uh, for each show every week that you know kind of encapsulate some of our favorite parts of each show and kind of get the word out there Um, the intention is for you guys on Facebook to see that and share it not just like it please share it and, and tell all your friends on Facebook how much you like the show. 
Um, but that's a big part of it. And we've got ideas for where we can take that in the future because the fact is, even though week to week you listen to the show, it just gets piped directly into your ears. Um, what I think of is that whole metaphor of you see the duck gliding smoothly across the top of the pond, but underneath the water, of course, he's kicking like crazy. And that's kind of what it's like for us. Yeah. There's a lot of work that goes into each one of these episodes because we want it to be the best that we can make it. And uh, we're going to keep doing it as yeah. long as you keep listening. And the other thing, just to put right on top of that, is that each of us is married. Each of us has two children. And we each have separate careers that have absolutely nothing to do with <laughs> podcasting whatsoever. So everything that we do, all the effort and work, is a labor of love. And we're so appreciative for all of the reviews and kind words and things that people have to say. When we, when we get that recognition, you have no idea how much it means to us. I'd like to point out that you guys have... Each have two different children. You're not sharing two children. No, no, no. There's six children between all three yeah, of us. Ranging from 10 to 1. So the reason we brought you in, James, to help us write the show is for those reasons. We have yeah, lives it, outside of our show. Out of, outside yeah, of the show. And, the, and the researching and the writing, because we want it to be interesting. We want to cover as many of the actual facts as we possibly can. It's a lot of work to research some of this stuff. Right. So that's actually the most time-consuming part, mm-hmm. I think, for us, is to do the research and to get that solid foundation. Because just as we would like for the sound quality in your ears to have beautiful compression, to be well, well-worded and, and just to say, oh, that it sounds so great— we want the knowledge and information mm-hmm. to give you to be well researched, and we want it to be of an of a certain academic standard and have a little bit of rigor. And we didn't just take Wikipedia and read it to you. We actually researched, found multiple sources. We and we try to add that personal touch. So it's a little bit of extra work. Well, it's actually a lot of extra work, <laughs> but we think that it's absolutely worth it in the end. Okay, so what's your favorite episodes? Wow, that's hard. You might as well just ask, you know, which one is my favorite child? Um, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, favorite episodes, there, there's ones that are near and dear to us because we're the ones that, you know, kind of had the idea to, to do that one. And we, we, you know, we followed it through from beginning to end. Obviously, the first one that I really put my heart and soul into was the Halloween episode where we talk about the ghost stories, and that was really interesting to me, and I really got into that one, so that's one of my favorites. But, you know, I also like the ones that a bunch of people listen to because that means that we were doing something right. And uh, we've got a couple of those, one of which is the Whataburger episode, which I think, last time I looked, was the most downloaded episode that we've done. My, um, I have just more favorites in the in the terms of what went into making them and so and what resulted from them so the six flags when i felt like was really the first moment we really clicked as working together in our voices on the show i think it came across really well just the conversational and from, just as a footnote to the six flags episode i've still never been to six flags <laughs> so you st- but you've been to the state fair which is good i did finally go to the state fair but still not um, Six Flags. So no if anybody wants flags. to take Mike to Six Flags, if you're listening, come over and take him to Six Flags. Um, the other one that really stands out to me is the Comanche episode, The Great Raid, because I struggled with writing that episode, and it was it was like pulling teeth. And I was just agonizing over this episode because it was so difficult for me just to get what I wanted to say out. And I finished it and I read it to my wife out loud. And she said, it doesn't sound like you're talking. It sounds like you're reading to me. And so basically it forced me to go sit back down, 
rewrite the thing as if I was speaking and it was a breakthrough. So it's, it's a, it's kind of a, it's, it's a sentimental favorite because it's a breakthrough in the writing of what we did. The favorite episode is a tough one. Um, I have, I have many great memories of the act of doing them, you know, when they, Sean had just had the baby and then there was a couple episodes that were early episodes we recorded at his house and the, it, the sound is not awesome in those. It's real echoey, but... Boomtown. Yeah. Boomtown. Boomtown and Jean Lafitte. Boomtowns and Jean Lafitte were those two. But the thing that, that was really interesting is that, was that we we carved out time to do that. And we, despite the things in our lives that were going on, those episodes are meaningful to me. As far And then there's the ones that you write that have this special subject. Dailyville is probably my favorite of the episode episodes, simply because the story is so incredible and it's not known by anybody. And if it's one of the first stories when I start talking about Texas and Texas history, I always bring it around to that story. And I'm like, this should be a series on Showtime. <laughs> this should be on HBO. Or this is there, like, there why are we a, not making a great miniseries out of this incredible shootout? Yeah, like, some, there, HBO should have followed up Deadwood with Dailyville. There's Dailyville. been 50 Tombstone movies. And who cares? Because that shootout is boring once you hear the Dailyville story. But, uh, you know, they're, they're all of our precious children, so you can't pick one. Another one I really enjoyed was the one we did with Stephen, the, the missions episode. So Stephen Guerra, who has a really nice show, uh, the History of the Papacy podcast, and he got us into the History, Network, History Podcasters Network. That's true. We got together with him and collaborated on an episode where our two worlds meet, and I think it really worked out well, and, and it sounded really good, even though he was Skyping in from New York. Uh, and it was a fun collaborative process writing with him, so... Well, and that's something that's a goal for us this year is, is to be to do more collaborations outside of the show, to bring in more guests, to maybe have James on once in a while, to to really open it up and to share our world of what we're talking about here with other people and bring in some other voices. And I'm going to say, uh, in, in following up, Mike, on your miniseries worth stories is uh, Cabeza de Vaca for me, which was also the first one I wrote. Um, because that guy had a crazy life. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't make some of that stuff up. Like the part where he and his, his handful of men left MacGyvered together rafts <laughs> out of, um, horses, base, horses, <laughs> horses. <laughs> uh, horses, their armor. I mean, they, they made a forge out of a log. Um, and then, and then those rafts were capable of crossing the Gulf of Mexico. Not well. But, you know, they, they made it across and then he walked and walked and walked and walked and then got to civilization and then walked some more. Um, he spent five years of Texas winters and summers naked. Right. <laughs> um, so that one was was one of my favorites. And also um, the unknown republics of Texas, uh, because I actually did not know them. So there's a lot of stuff that I'm learning. And, and that's one of my favorite parts is learning more about the state that I love. Success. Um, exactly. And so in, in keeping in that, for me, my favorite category is a topic that I don't know much about or don't know anything about. Um, what are your favorite categories, guys? I like the straight history stuff, personally. Um, the hard history, mostly. But I've enjoyed writing the episodes on the culture stuff. I mean, for me, what really drew me into this was I'm, I'm not a history buff. I mean, I read history on occasion. I like to learn history because that's how we learn what not to do. or to do that we're not doing, you know, history is good for that. But what really drew me into doing the show was the aspect of doing the research of the history, but then applying that through a cultural lens of what 
Texas is about. It's like, what is the culture of Texas, and wh- why do we identify as Texan as opposed to just, yeah, we, we live in Texas? Well, I'd say even further than that is there's that connection you build of, you know, it's knowing, learning these stories, learning a place. And I've had really interesting discussions with family members and people in in certain communities, and you kind of delve in and learn these pieces. The flip side of that, though, you know, the straight history is is interesting, I suppose, from a factual nature. But I really have enjoyed our discussions. And in, in fact, I love the cultural ones. Like, I mean, we still talk to this day about the barbecue episode, yeah, which was extremely... <laughs> detailed and deep and, and and later i was like we've only scratched the surface of eating barbecue like we could do 10 more episodes on this all right uh so who's your been your favorite person to uh learn about guys creed taylor <laughs> creed taylor creed the, taylor the forest <laughs> of texas history really i mean it, it, it is he is an extraordinary character and he I know, just he keeps popping up. He I mean. hasn't come up in in the last couple of episodes. I'm feeling a little lonely, but yeah. Yeah, that guy is yeah. the guy. Yeah. Is did Creed everywhere. Taylor never go to Jefferson? Yeah. I don't he know. Probably he did. Probably did. And then we haven't really scratched the surface of of Sam Houston yet. And of course, Sam Houston is possibly the most fascinating character in Texas well, history. So. Well, and I'll just put a footnote to that. And for those of you who are listeners, and you look at the list of topics, you may be like, "Well, you guys haven't really talked about like some of the big the big names in Texas history yet." And we really felt that to do those guys, and we plan to do them this year, is to really kind of open up the door and do them well. So we wanted to be sure we had our craft, our tools, that we could bring you the best possible um, description and analysis of these very important and key characters. Because they're complicated people, and even though they're well-researched, we want to really present you a good picture of who they are. All right, so what is the most interesting thing you've learned and what is your favorite takeaway from the show? I'm I'm fascinated. You we bring up Creed Taylor and how he's the Forrest Gump, but of Texas history. But of what's fascinating me is all the intersections of history and the connections between the different episodes, the surprising connections between different episodes that we find or we uncover. We turn over a rock and like, oh wow, Henry Wax Carnes, who was the namesake of Carnes County or, you know, the fracas of Dalyville's in Carnes County. But then he shows up in like f- four or five other episodes that we've done. Um, you know, Creed Taylor wasn't the only one floating through all of this stuff. There's many characters and there's many things where there's, there's these surprising intersections. Well, and the Texas history is full of extraordinary people. That's what you're really saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, for me, my favorite takeaway from everything, I mean, the real takeaway for me is just finding a deeper personal connection to where I live and where I'm from. Um, there's a lot bigger list of places that I want to visit in Texas now. Um, I mean, it was already a big list. It's a big state, but um, it's it's fun to learn about where you're from. I mean, I the big takeaway for me is the sharing part of it. As we're making something that we're all very proud of, I'm making it with, you know, my best friends, and we're able to share it with people. And the people that we've talked to who are listening to the show say, great job. I really learned something. That was interesting. And it's not just people here, you know, as part of the History Podcasters Network, you know, we're getting some visibility out, even outside the United States. And there's people who say, I never knew that about Texas. I mean, I just, I never even occurred to me that these kind of thing. And so those, those, 
that positive feedback you get back from people and the thought that, well, we're making something good and people love it, that's, that's been such a, just such a boost and makes all of the effort worthwhile. All right. So you guys say every week that you're uh, three Texans talking about Texas, but what's, what's most Texas about you or most Texan about you or what's the most Texan thing you've done? I've played six man football. <laughs> That's pretty Texan. And I've lived in the smallest towns of anybody in this room, except maybe you. No, you, yeah. Nor- Norman G. Beats so me. I, I am like small town, Texas bread and born. So, well, didn't you play six man football because there were only six guys in your, no, okay. I played six man football because they instituted no pass, no play. And this was in junior high, and the entire seventh grade class, all all five of the seventh grade boys flunked that six weeks. <laughs> and there was like 11 people on the team. Gotcha. And I was the equipment manager. So the coach said, McIver, you're shooting. McAdoo, you're shooting. You're, you're McAdoo. suiting up. McAdoo, you're suiting up. McAdoo. Well, <laughs> uh, I would say that I am very Texan. Dan Rather, I think, said it best when he said, I'm not only from Texas, but I am of Texas. Uh, I'm, I'm from San. I was born in San Antonio. I grew up all over South Texas. Uh, I've made my home. I've built a career and a life here. I'm the most internationally traveled of anybody in the room, and I can say this is that uh, there's no better thing than to come home to Texas, and that is that is probably the the most Texan thing about me. Yeah. Um. I guess perhaps the most. What's most Texan about me is that I was born and raised in the city that bears the name of the state. Well, I think I was, te- Texas City, you win. Texas I was born city. and raised in Texas City on the coast. and um, That's not a real place. <laughs> most definitely is. Can't get any more Texan than living there. I'm a Texan from Texas City, Texas. Let me, let me see if I can top you. I was raised on a ranch. <laughs> Okay. Not, well, not, okay. not a large ranch, that's, but a ranch. That's pretty Texan. And that's what's beautiful about right. Texas is that oh. there are so many aspects to being Texan. Also, I've had chicken fried steak for three meals in a row. Yeah, I've probably <laughs> done that too. Yeah. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's discuss some of the differences within Texas. For instance, I grew up in East Texas, which is much more like the Deep South, while Sean is from Central Texas and Mike and Scott are from the coast. If you really want to know the difference in Texas, you just need to go back, pull up the barbecue episode, and listen to that, and that'll tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> really? People well. in East Texas, they make weird Southern-style stuff. There's people Central Texas, there's the Southern-style, there's West Texas-style, and there's no real North Texas-style. That's what you need to know. Yeah, North Texas is just a mismatch of all yeah. of them. <laughs> now, I think, I think there were, that that's what is so attractive to Texas, is it's, it was, it's a big place, it's opportunities, it represents... All kind, every kind of landform, every kind of person, creed, culture, technology, wherever you want. Like everything under the sun that you could possibly want is here. So why would you go anywhere else? Yeah. But there's such a variety in Texas because it's so big. You know, it's been said that you don't measure distances in Texas by miles, but how long it takes you to get there. And the fact that you can drive all day, literally all day across Texas, like a good... 12, 13 hours and still be in Texas, that gives you an idea of how diverse the state can be. All right. So what are some of the taboos about Texas? And are any of them rooted in historical fact? I think there's one very clear taboo in Texas, and that is the Alamo. And if you ask Ozzy Osbourne, anything related with the Alamo, don't urinate on it. 
because it will get you banned from the city of San Antonio for a decade. I'm going to give a shout out to our good friends from the UK and say there's no bigger distance between the two points of Phil Collins and Ozzy Osbourne when it comes to terms of musical stylings combined with, you know, Alamo ethics. Yeah, because Phil Collins has the what the the largest collection of Alamo related artifacts. It's a huge collection. He's a huge fan. He's been a fan his entire life. He's been there several times and asked to speak at yeah. uh, at functions. And and he's a he's a well documented historical researcher well, of it. I, I read. But it. Ozzy Osbourne took a whiz on it. Not the Alamo. He got <laughs> drunk in the streets of San Antonio and urinated on the cenotaph, the the monument to the Alamo. But oh, still, well, well, but, that's, yeah, but that's, still, but still. Yeah, he, yeah. So. Sharon! <laughs> so, like many other places in the nation, um, your nation in public is frowned upon in Texas. And, and more that our, it's our shrines. It is our, if it had been the side of a building, probably wouldn't have been the a problem. Thing, but. The thing is that we, uh, it's, it's that part of Texas, it's, there's, there's honor. Like, we're honorable people. And just, and don't, and don't mess with Texas. Well, and you, you know, there's that old joke about, Texas can theoretically break up into four states, but it never will because which one would get the Alamo? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't think we brought that up in that episode, but that's uh, a good point. That's a good point. Uh, The Alamo would have to be like Berlin. Yeah, it would be the corner. That's where the states would be divided up. Yeah, but I think that as far as taboos in Texas, that's that's really the big one. Is anything related to the Alamo, the San Jacinto Monument, Goliad, those things— People take seriously the shrine aspect of yeah, because because the central core, uh, the central core myth and identity of the state is that whole Texas Revolutionary period mm-hmm. where we fought for our independence from Mexico, became an independent nation, and then you know allowed the United States to annex us. But I will say this: I had I talked about this on an earlier show. Uh, I met a really interesting, he was a human rights lawyer um, from Trinidad, but he lives here in Texas, and uh, he's a professor at a local college. And he was talking about moving here with his son. He's a single father, and he moved here with his son to come teach in in, in Texas, and he moved here from England, where he was a, a barrister. And he told me, you know, we talk about this, this, well, don't mess with Texas, don't do all that stuff. He said, you know what? Texas is the greatest place I've ever lived. Everyone is so incredibly nice. They've been so supportive of me and my family. They have been the most amazing of neighbors, and I've never wanted for anything. People have given before I've ever even had to ask, and I do the same in kind. And there's a such a generous human spirit that comes from the communities here in Texas that you just don't find in other places in the world. And it was moving and touching to hear such a high praise for the state. From some that to know that we're at least today we're treating people who come here, we're we're, doing, <laughs> we're being that nice to them. Yeah, very moving. Well, and uh, on a, on a related topic, I think that the Texas flag deserves some attention too. Because uh, speaking of San Antonio, we went to visit one time and we looked out our hotel window and we saw, I believe, ten Texas flags and only two American flags flying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and Scott had a neighbor one time who. I think desecrated the Texas flag by <laughs> having a Dallas stars flag, which was in the same pattern as the Texas flag, but the wrong colors. It was a Dallas stars colors and not the Texas flag colors. Mm, yeah. 
Hmm. Novelty flag, Texas flags. Hmm. Well, and one final note: we, we'll be getting into, uh, we'll be having an episode later this year on Texas A&M, Texas A&M University and its rivalry with the University of Texas. And there are some taboos associated with Texas A&M University and the campus there that we'll we'll talk about then. It, that have some historical basis and just some basis in the Aggies being A lot weird. of traditions <laughs> there. A lot of traditions. Right. We don't want to upset 50% of the state one way or the other. Have there been any updates to some of the stories that stood out to you guys? As a matter of fact, there have been some that have come to the news. Funny you should ask that question, yeah, James. Funny you should ask that question. Um, so as we talked about, our first episode was on France, and we talked a lot about LaSalle, who was the explorer who landed in Texas and claimed the land uh, for France, land in Texas by accident, claimed the land for France. Now, for many years, there was a lot of things we didn't know about his expedition, such as the location of his colony and where he was buried, where he was shot and buried. But And those things were just lost to history. But one thing that they did know about that we found out recently in the last couple of decades, and we didn't talk about in the episode, was the location of one of his ships. And one of his ships sank in Matagorda Bay. And in 1995, they discovered its wreck. And they verified that it was the ship, the LaBelle, and uh, through cannons that they pulled up from the from the wreckage. So over the years, from 1995 to 1997, they built a cofferdam around the wreck, which basically blocked all the water off from the wreck. And they were able to, uh, archaeologists were able to excavate the ship, and nearly a million artifacts were recovered. And those artifacts, as well as the hull, were taken to the Texas A&M Conservation Research Laboratory in College Station for preservation and restoration. So they were using super cold uh, liquid nitrogen to dry out all of these things and to preserve them. Now, recently in July, it was in the news because the LaBelle, they finally began the process of moving it to the Bob Bullock State Historical Museum in Austin for its permanent display. And so... Um, so the ship should be fully assembled by May of next year, May of 2015, and it'll be one of the oldest restored shipwrecks in the United States. Cool. Another correction from a more recent episode. Uh, we talked about the commemorative Air Force back in April, and right after we recorded that episode, um, in which we mentioned uh, that the CAF is, was looking to move their headquarters out of Midland for various reasons, economic and um, just trying to be a more central location, uh, they did, in fact, decide to move to Dallas. They selected the site at the Dallas Executive Airport, uh, which is just south of the city. Um, they're going to expand the runway, and there's going to be a $40 million museum and office complex. And they uh, plan to hold three major air shows a year there. So we look forward to seeing the air show in South Dallas soon. Um, there's still a lot of controversy. I know people are upset that they're moving and... Not everyone agrees that that's where they should go. There's been locally, there's been some uproar that the people that live in that area were not consulted, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, I think probably people in that area didn't realize there was an airport. There. Right. Probably well, like, we that's an airport. But in any case, that's a, just an update to that show that they did choose their site. And uh, maybe we'll do another episode about them in the future to. You know, depending on how things turn out. Keep them flying, boys. Yeah, and at least they didn't pick Kansas. As yes, yes. <laughs> and we do not have to revoke their uh, status as the Air Force of Texas. Right. So in other news, um, we did an episode on Love Field, and we talked about the, the history of this interesting airport, which is right in Dallas. Speaking of airplanes. Speaking of the flying machines. But uh, there's there's been a whole, everything is gearing up because the Wright Amendment, which we talked about and how that kind of 
tried to ki- kill tried to kill Southwest Airlines, but they've they've managed to get that repealed. And as that rolls off, everything's being prepared. They've shrank the number of gates to refurbish the airport. There are now twenty gates. Uh, American Airlines gave up their gates, and so there was a bidding contract. And Virgin American has won two of those gates. So. In addition to be able to take Virgin American flights from DFW, you'll also be able to take them from Love Field. This whole thing is still, even now, in discussion and up in the air as there's different airlines jockeying to try to figure out the gates and the gate volumes. And it's all sort of getting worked out now. But the the, the net net of the story is that Love Field is going to continue to operate as a primary airport from Dallas. And there's going to be a lot more traffic to a lot more interesting destinations simply because they've revoked this right amendment. Yeah, and you'll be able to take advantage of Richard Branson's incredibly low fares starting in October to mm. New York, Washington, D.C., all kinds of places, as well as Southwest Airlines. So that's great. What about space? Uh, that probably will come in the next couple of years. All right. Right? I think you'll probably have to take a connection to the middle of the desert <laughs> so they can take off and yeah. take you into space. What is yes. it, Spaceport X? I don't remember yeah, that. We'll anyway. see. Well, have you guys gotten any good listener feedback with praise, questions, corrections, threats, or has anybody challenged you to a good old-fashioned duel? No duels, Um, but we have had a few comments and questions, but not nearly enough. If you're listening and you've ever thought about contacting us with questions, comments, please do so. We'd love to hear from you. Or go to the iTunes page and leave a review. That's something that really actually very much helps us to, to achieve rankings out there. Um, one of the things that was kind of an interesting feedback, Patrick Titus, who's an A&M graduate, emailed us back in March and asked a question about the reconstruction episodes. He said, you keep referring to the Texans who resisted Friedman's rights as conservatives in your reconstruction discussion. Were they Republicans or Democrats? This came up a couple of times, and I think we did address it off the cuff. But generally, if you use the term conservatives prior to 1890, we're talking about Democrats, because in this case, a conservative just means that they're trying to preserve that pre-Civil War political order. Pretty much from the 1890 up until the 1980s, conservatives in Texas were not confined to one party or another. Texas has generally been considered pretty heavily conservative from a political perspective, especially if you look at those red and blue political maps that they love to put up on, uh, on the news. But uh, this is regardless of which party was in control of the state at the time. Right. I think you said one time, if you ask what does a conservative in Texas look like before 1980, it's a Democrat. It was a political align. It was it was a political alignment, not a political party. That's right, Mike. And Patrick, he also made a comment and said that we really need to make sure we're not trying to sound partisan in our show uh, so that we can remain objective. And I think that's been one of our intentions right from the start. Uh, we might get a little snarky here and there, uh, but for the most part, we've tried not to be political, but rather factual. Even in these areas that have political uh, connections or con- connotations like the Reconstruction or Secession, um, we've tried to just be neutral in that and, and just to present the historical facts. Um, and Patrick was also very nice and very kind, and he called us fine historians, which really made me feel very happy. We fooled one. Yeah, we fooled one. Who's Patrick. next? Well, up next is Jeffrey Fields, and he sent us an email telling us that he was disappointed that Come and Take It didn't mention the Giant Roadrunner in Fort Stockton in far west Texas, or the Alley Park in Ira Ann near there. Well, all I can say is that I'm sure there's more than enough roadside attractions in Texas that, to do another episode, and Alley Oop Land is definitely should be included in that episode. 
Jeffrey also pointed out that there is a historical marker at the old jail in San Elizaro, which is not far from El Paso, that mentions that Billy the Kid was jailed there briefly. So, we apologize, we stand corrected in our statement that Billy the Kid probably never came to Texas. He probably only came to the very teeny tiniest, <laughs> super westernmost part of Texas. Right, hey, that was Texas. Yeah, so. and, and that doesn't keep Bushy Bill from being Chupacabra. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. Uh, I'd I'd like to I'd like to nominate a roadside attraction for the next episode too because if you haven't been to Dinosaur Gardens in Moscow, Texas, you haven't lived. <laughs> oh yeah, mm. oh, Dinosaur um, Gardens. Yeah, um, we have another correction. Um, when we did the episode on the birth of military aviation in Texas, uh, which started in San Antonio, we said in our discussion that General Benjamin Falloy appeared on the in the 1950s on the show called This Is Your Life as a contestant. Well, we had that wrong. We had our old uh, game shows mixed up. Really, what he was probably on was uh, What's My Line, which is where you would have people come on and they would give them clues about what someone did for a living. And, you know, at the end they would be like, oh, it was, you know, the first military pilot in the nation. What's my line? And that was a correction provided by my dad, uh, Charlie, to those of you who don't know him, well, I, that uh, pointed that out to me, that it was probably not uh, This Is Your Life. Well, I'd just like to quote Steve Martin and say, well, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, so which, we, which, to be honest, I knew that was wrong right after we recorded it, but uh, we never got the correction in there. And I do want to give a special shout out to a um, friend of the show, Daniel Hill, who was our very first review on iTunes. If we had any sort of merchandise to give out, he would get the first one. It does help us out. It, it has to do with the way iTunes works and the way our shows shows up based on reviews. So give us reviews if you like our yeah. show. Give us reviews and keep telling people about the show because really it all works through word of mouth. If you like it, tell somebody you know and get them to listen. They'll like it. They'll tell somebody else and they'll tell three people and then each one of those people will tell three people and yada, yada, yada. All right, guys, what do you have coming down the pipeline for us? Well, so Nick Cross, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, Nick. He has a podcast called Geeked on History, and he had a couple of questions for us. He's the one who actually asked the question about Texas Taboo that we talked about earlier with the Ozzy Osbourne thing. Uh, But he also recently asked us about the lasting cultural impacts of the Galveston hurricane in 1900. And we talked a little bit about that in the Indianola episode, but we didn't really get into any details. Nick asked this question because he said he'd visited Galveston as a child, and he was fascinated to learn about the history of the hurricane while he was there. Now, we just released an episode on the Galveston hurricane in 1900, also known as Isaac's Storm, and we hope that you enjoy that episode, and this answers all your questions. Guys, congratulations on your first anniversary of Come and Take It, and I hope you have many more. I have two questions. I was wondering what the culture of the Tejanos is in Texas today, you know, the ones who lived in Texas since the revolution. Do they have good relations with the Texians from way back? Also, having worked with you guys on a few episodes, would you ever consider doing a special video podcast or behind-the-scenes episode? I could tell you have a great time recording, and your banter is hilarious. Thanks again, and congratulations. So that was our friend Stephen Guara from the History of the Papacy podcast. Thanks for those beautiful words, Stephen. We uh, we are actually already have a show that, that just released recently about the three Tejano heroes of the Texas Revolution. Once again, Lorenzo de Zavala 
and Jose Antonio Navarro. Uh, and this was written by James Avendroth, who's here today. We're, uh, we're also planning to do some more episodes that uh, reflect a bit of the Tejano experience in Texas over the years, both good and bad. So hopefully we'll cover that. We'd love to collaborate with you, and uh, it would be interesting to really pursue doing something with video. Uh, there's a little more production involved beyond what, yeah. what it takes for audio. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but behind the scenes, you know, we, we'd love to give people an idea of of what we do and how we get here. So Yeah, and if there's anybody out there that is doing something that they think could, you know, match up with what we're doing, some unique collaboration, it doesn't have to be a podcast, it could be anything that's remotely related to what we're doing whether it's hey if you're out there and you're doing a rhode island podcast all about rhode island if you want to get together and do a mashup of the differences between texas and rhode island let's yeah. do that and we it can, doesn't have to be video it can be an audio podcast just yeah, like we normally do we're doing like we did with steven yeah so we're we're you know the the good news about being at this one year anniversary is is We've really got the machinery sort of in place of how we produce things. We now have the uplinks that we're able to actively collaborate with other shows and to create that um, dialogue between them. So, so we're 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 really excited about the new things coming down the pipe this year. And, and we've continued to uh, participate in the collaborations, the the uh, the collage episodes in the History Podcaster Network. It is a little bit of extra work for us because we kind of got to put together a ten minute episode or a nine minute episode and is. And we like to talk, so we do it's, like hard, to talk. it's hard to cut yeah. our conversations down to ten <laughs> yeah. minutes. But but yeah, so but those it, are fun because it kind of opens it. Like Mike said, it opens us up to broader audiences, and that's been a lot of fun as well. Uh, we do have some other episodes coming down the pipe, James. Um, like Mike said, we really haven't tapped the big giants of Texas history, and so we're kind of working on this this idea of Texas legends. And so Stephen F. Austin and Sam Houston and Davy Crockett and and Scott Joplin and Chester Nimitz and some other people who you may not, they're not as, they're not quite the names, but they have a great impact on Texas history, U.S. history, world history. So those are some of the things we're going to be working on. In addition, we're going to try to, to continue to reflect on some of the more cultural items. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably going to see a barbecue part two coming up sometime <laughs> this year. Uh, and definitely be on the lookout for our spooky Halloween spectacular. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that last year, and there's plenty more weird and spooky Texas tales that we're gonna we're gonna yeah. share with you guys. So there's if it's Texan, we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. And do not be afraid to go to your computer and send us an email, send us a Twitter, get on Facebook and message us, and tell us if there's something you want to know more about in Texas, and and talk to us because we will diligently research it and we'll try to put a show together now i have a great idea for a video episode we go to six flags with mike and we film it (laughs) and see mike be completely disappointed by the whole situation strap a gopro on mike (laughs) i want to watch him be terrified on the sombrero well this is terribly disappointing This is just an amusement park. You heard it. You heard it. Seventeen dollars for a soda. This mine car is hardly running away at all. And this is how we brainstorm future episodes. Yeah. Right. So let me ask you, James. What do you hope to hear on the show? What it, What it, What is your impression as a listener and as someone who's seen behind the curtain of the show? And don't feel too much pressure because we'll probably just cut this all out. I think one of the the most striking things to me is. Um, how much you guys have improved. I know that may sound like kind of a backhanded compliment. No. Um, but I had the privilege of listening to the prototype 
uh, Battleship Texas episode, also <laughs> known as Privilege. Yeah, <laughs> also known as Professor Sean uh, talks to the kids. Yeah. Um, but you guys have have really improved, um, and even some of the earlier episodes that actually got got put out, uh, it 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 sounded like you guys were reading sometimes. Um, and of course, you know, seeing behind the scene, you guys are reading, but you're also making it your own. Um, I remember the first of my scripts that you guys, uh, that you guys actually published and that moment of, uh, artistic rage when I realized that you were not saying exactly what I had typed. Um, now whether or not it was better the way you did it or, uh, that's up for some debate. It's not up for debate. It was definitely better (laughs) from, from, from a certain point of view, yes. For I guess I'll I'll accept four heads are better than one. Um, we will make sure that your royalties reflect your contribution. But yeah, I you know one of the great things about the podcast is that it really ranges all over Texas uh, history, culture. Um, I'm learning things I didn't know both uh, on the episodes I'm writing and on the episodes that uh, I'm just listening to. And it's, you know, it's, it's a great state. It's a great topic. Uh, so being able to look into areas that I didn't even know were there. Uh, one of the episodes that I wrote that uh, may or may not be published yet is uh, Unknown Republics of Texas. Uh, that there was a Texas Revolution before the revolution that established the Republic of Texas and a Texas Revolution after the Republic of Texas um, that, as far as I know, no one knows about and they don't teach you. Yeah. And, you know, James, that kind of brings it back to another reason that I've enjoyed doing this show so much is that if there's one thing that I can pick that I've learned more than anything is just how much I don't know about Texas, either culturally or historically. On a final note, from all of us at Come and Take It, we want to say a very deep and special thank you to all of you who've joined us on this journey for the last year. And we look forward to where we're going to go in the, in the next year. And we know that with your help, we can continue to grow the show, expand the topics, and uh, really just spread the word about how awesome Texas is. God bless Texas. Thank you for listening. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. I'm Scotticus. And I'm at Blackguard Press. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. It's what really helps us out. And we hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas, Texas wants you anyway. anyway.